0: Hello, fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 23rd episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I am your host, Trey Xavier, and today we're going to be talking to my friends in Amaranth about how they write songs. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid and their awesome Splits feature. This is the DistroKid feature that I have used the most and basically, it's just that you can easily split all of the incoming money from any given track or album between yourself and unlimited collaborators. How many problems will this solve between your, you know, the people who wrote the parts of the song in your in your band? The bass player wrote a part that you begrudgingly included in it. He wants his ten percent. Now you don't have to pay him out every month, and feel uh, angry that you have to do that. DistroKid will do it for you. Obviously, that's a Silly example, but um, if you and a friend collaborate on a track, you could set the split at 50-50 when you upload it, and then DistroKid will automatically split all the incoming revenue, and they'll never have to worry if you're holding out on them. Your collaborators will all need to make a DistroKid account, but they're going to get a 50% discount, so it's only 10 bucks. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. Check the link in the description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid. So, their new single, Strong, the cinematic version is out now. Please welcome my guests. Guest guests. It's, you'll see in a minute why that's a little weird. Olaf from Amaranth. What is up, my dude? Hey,
1: Trey. So good to see you again. It's been a long time, my friend.
0: Yeah. It's been a hot minute. Um, wow. Yeah, 2019. Since I saw you guys last, exactly,
1: right here in Gothenburg, actually.
0: Yeah, spent one of the best weeks of my life hanging out with uh, with all of you guys, uh, getting to see you shoot a music video, and just uh, watch you rehearse. I basically got like a like a private amaranth concert <laughs> i know like for you guys
1: that was the best vip <laughs> package anyone uh, that's ever gets for uh, got them for uh, the amaranth it was, experience it
0: was, let's say <laughs> as a huge fan it was amazing like i because I, I was just there shooting video you guys were like yeah we don't usually rehearse that much but we're like trying to do it, you know and i just like happened to have my like in ears and i popped it on a little thing and i was shooting just hearing everything direct injected into my brain and i was like this is it this is the top Anyway, I had a great time. So yeah, it's been a
1: while. <laughs> yeah, I remember we play, played a bunch of songs for the very first time because um, the uh, occasion of the matter was that we were preparing to do the festival uh, shows for 2019, if I'm not mistaken, and at the same time shooting a music video at um, Patrick Uleis's, um yes. studio, basically. And we were recording the countdown video as well, if I'm not mistaken. Was that it? Mm-hmm. I think so. And yeah, uh, I think it was two or three songs that we never played before. So you got to hear the absolute premiere of it. The number one, yeah, (laughs) live premiere. That is,
0: yeah, it was pretty great. You know, hopefully I'll get to come back. Hopefully I'll I'll get to see you guys play again soon. That was, um, that was the other thing because after that it was like, okay, well I'll see you guys like reasonably soon. You're gonna have it do a U.S. tour. And then boom, plot twist. Yeah, pl- big <laughs> plot twist all the way around.
1: It was the nefarious little pathogen called uh, COVID had something to say about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So as as exciting and cool as it was for me to come and see you guys, it was as big of a bummer to not get to uh, see you play on tour, see all the new all the new songs played. So I got to you know I got, it was a little 50-50. But long story short, I am a uh, as we've ta- I've uh, tried to restrain myself in many cases hanging out, but here for the world to see, I love Amaranth. Amaranth is my favorite band. I'm so excited to get to talk to you about it, uh, about all the different things that you do um, to make the music that I love so much. And I'm going to, um, that's all of the fangirling that I'm going to do. I am now from this moment forward going to be very professional, but thank you for taking the time to answer all of my questions
1: it is a pleasure to be back with you uh trey and should we take the opportunity to explain about the one or two persons here if the fact of the matter is that me and elise did an acoustic uh, live performance at a party on friday and as so happens on parties in general there tends to be a bunch of people and they tend to carry colds with them in this um, season in sweden it's already getting cold over here so both me and elise came down that's why my voice is a little bit messed up. Elise's voice is even more messed up. but she will join us for for a little bit. It's gonna be a little taxing on her voice too to sit and chat here for the entire duration of the thing for the of the stream. But she'll pop by later, so stay tuned for that.
0: okay. yes, poor timing uh, all the way around for Trey and amaranth, but it's you're here and that's great. um and she, she if she's coming awesome, even for a little bit, I'm very stoked. So. And it makes it more exciting. When's she gonna come? When she, she come now? Come a little later? Nobody knows. Um, exactly. So you got to stick around. <laughs> you have to be here for the whole thing, everybody. So um, the big question of the podcast is re- really there's only one question. All the others are follow ups of some kind, and that is what is the usual songwriting process for Amaranth and. Uh, has it changed at all lately for any of your recent stuff? Well, you can say it like
1: this: there's um, different ways to start with a song. The general process looks about the same, but where we start is the, I think, the key difference. The end result tends to be difficult to pick apart. So I think it's difficult for the outside listener, even for me, to uh, to actually see what process was uh, employed on the particular
0: song. But I had to reverse engineer typical- it, so I know I know. <laughs> I know what. Yeah, you Yeah, exactly.
1: You're an expert on it now, and you did really good, awesome job, man. Thank you. And for the people who doesn't know, uh, don't know what we were talking about, Trey did an interpretation of how to write an amaranth song in was it five minutes, ten minutes, or was that the Dragon Force?
0: No, that was no, that I. I spent it was in in three weeks. <laughs> right, right, right. But, uh, yeah.
1: So how to write an emerald song in uh, three <laughs> weeks? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The, the the thing is like this. One of the typical ways to uh, to start a song is. Uh, us having an idea about it, me and Elise are the main composers and since quite a few years back the only composers for for the band. And we would typically start with a a general idea. So the general idea can typically be a number of different things. For example, it can be an intro where I set the the general key. I uh, do an intro with like the the full setup of guitars, uh, of um, keyboards, of uh, like a general demo production to to see where the idea is heading. And from there, it's quite, I would actually venture to say that it's pretty easy for Elise to figure out where it's going to go from there. She is fast when it comes to uh, writing vocal lines. And she writes a lot of vocal lines in a very short amount of time. So it's uh, it's our great privilege, the both of us, to to then choose what she's going to actually go with. So typically, when we get to the verse first, it's not always the verse first, but let's say that I started with an intro, that's kind of a natural way to progress from there. Then she will blurt out the first 10 things, first 10 different verses that come to her head. And then the problem begins because they're all typically pretty pretty damn good. And you often also have stylistic differences, not only differences in the vocal lines themselves. They could be... uh, a more modern, more poppy version. There could be a more old-school heavy metal deal kind of vibe to it. There can be some r and jam to it, some almost rappy, fast singing. So that's where we get to decide, both of us, like, okay, where, what direction do we want the song in general to, to head in? And obviously, if you already have an intro, that will uh, clue you in to, to how you should continue. And if you have a, a verse and you've already set the style of it, that's going to dictate pretty much on how the song will roll on from there like in terms of the the pre-chorus if there is one for example that gets usually dictated by the uh, the style and the rhythmization of the vocal lines in the uh, in the verse and to, to to clarify once you have the um once you have the um, verse vocal lines down it's usually that in turn dictates what the chords should be if you follow me mm-hmm. for the verse and if I have the tempo and if I have the chords, then to write a guitar riff or guitar breaks or guitar-oriented background to, to the verse is going to be very easy to figure out from there as well. But what we typically do, as, um, as you no doubt heard, I mean, this is not an absolute truth, but maybe in 50% of the songs, I like to leave a lot of space for the vocals because typically an Emirates intro is very intense in terms of uh, guitars, keyboards, etc., so then, it's good to remove a lot of the musical elements, uh, instrumental elements, and then front the uh, vocals by taking a step back in terms of uh, instrumentation. And I think this is really important. And that means that you can put the um, you can put the vocals pretty loud, but they will actually sound even louder with the master compressor and everything on it, so it will catch your attention a little bit easier. Sometimes, uh, like with the song "Dropped Dead Cynical," uh, we scale away the music almost completely. So, it goes from really heavy guitars, really big arrangement, keyboards, and everything to almost only Elise or almost only Nils. But Elise, in this particular uh, example. But to speak of uh, some of the other ways that we we can start a song, for example, a couple of songs, not not only a couple, but a few songs uh, from the Manifest album, Elise was actually setting the um, fundamental chord structure, the key, and also the vocal line entirely by herself. So, that was also really as a composer i assume in that case almost the role of of, of the arranger which i find uh, really really exciting also because the the tempo the key the vibe of the song is already set in place so now it's up to me to kind of twist it and bend it to where where my mind thinks it should be heading a couple of examples uh, of this from the manifest album is uh, a song called make it better also strong as we released uh, as a single it's very much like Elise-oriented composition and the really cool thing is that um, she thinks a little different uh, harmonically when it comes to uh, like doing the the chords it's not super different but it's a little bit different uh, than how I would have done it and instead of going in there and like correct it to uh, what it should be to to my mind I actually stuck with those chords and arranged it from there so that's a really cool way to to be working as well and then we have the uh, third version of us starting a song, if I would categorize it into three different main versions. The third version is uh, really common as well, and it's just me and Elise sitting down together uh, at my place in the studio, right where I'm sitting right now, actually, and we just start the jam. She starts to sing something. I have the guitar or the keyboards just next to me, and we just see where it's going. So we we did that a lot on the Manifest album as well, and that's also usually the quickest way to, to get things to appear.
2: Well, here I am Behind the name Is a girl from Sweden I am here
1: Hey!
2: <laughs> My throat's in pain But you can't probably notice Hi! Still
0: say it. <laughs> wow, what, a, what an entrance Right off the bat, two words in We're already writing a song How are you doing? Great to see you
2: Oh, well, amazing to you Well, this is the fun thing I have so much Pain in my throat. So I don't know sorry. if Olof said... It was like some kind of illness going around. But I can sing. I can... Like up here, it doesn't hurt as much as when I talk.
0: Wow, that's really interesting.
2: So maybe I should talk like this. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe just
0: sing the whole interview then. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> Well I'm taking notes what's the vocalized are good enough. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I can just talk like the opera singers talk. I always talk. Oh, Olaf, so nice to meet you. <laughs> I've been looking forward to meeting you in a long time though.
0: <laughs> cool. Well we're uh we, we we're just talking about you if you can believe it. We we're talking about um just to get you caught up, the the really there's only one question on the podcast, and that's um how you what the process is for going about writing amaranth songs and olaf had just dictated a couple of or t- talked about a couple different ways that you go about it and then he was talking about the 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 third way which was that you guys will just get together and kind of jam on it
1: exactly like that so uh, to catch you up to speed at least uh the three different main versions is either i start with some kind of musical idea then we sit down and continue it second one you uh Write some uh, chord progression and record some vocals uh, at home like you did with Strong and uh, make it better. Number three, we sit down and uh, jam together at my place and stuff gets created. Something like that. That's the long and short of it.
0: (laughs) Maybe um, since we've got you here now, maybe you can tell us a little bit, uh, uh, Elise, about how you did that for Strong and uh, some of the other songs that you will write the, the basic skeleton for at home.
2: Okay, it goes usually like this. I try to sleep. <laughs> like I try to go to bed and sleep. And then I just hear... Me love me stay. In any way. And then I just hear the song in my head. So basically, usually the songs are about something I feel or experienced in the near, in our nearstående
1: In recent memory.
2: Yeah, in recent memory. So, when all the distraction disappears from our everyday life and the, the unconscious gets more visible in your mind, or yeah. And then I just hear things and then I usually just record them on the iPhone. You know, this voice memo, which is amazing, which I know, I know like most top liners at least use that. Almost every Top Liner I ever met ever have all their stuff on the voice memo. Like very famous ones too. to sm- everyone. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure maybe Max didn't even do that. Maybe we should call him.
1: That's what a lot of uh, guitar players and metal do as well. They uh, sit there and uh, play riffs and they record whatever is uh, good. There was some drama about Kirk Kammett losing his phone with a billion ideas on it. Not very unlike uh, you. I think once you lost your phone with like a thousand ideas
2: on it, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never forget that. That was terrible. That's the the, the, the negative part is that you could, if you're... But I, 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 I keep my phone extremely safe nowadays because I know that it's very valuable, like the stuff I have here.
0: Worth paying for the uh, automatic backup, iCloud backup, I think, at that point.
2: Yes, exactly. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely worth it.
0: <laughs> I'm always shooting video when I, so that I don't forget how I played the a guitar riff. So I'm always using the video, which takes up way too much room. I got to start using the voice memos instead.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's kind of what, what we've been doing as well. When we've been showing ideas to the rest of the band, we could kind of just film the screen because then you get some automatic compression instead of me having to like do any mixes. And I I can tell when I'm uh, sending over video to to other people, like, hey, listen to this. They always like it a little bit better if it has that uh, iPhone video
0: compression on it. That's funny.
2: It's not far from the truth, actually, like that most songs I've written has been created between like noon and three o'clock in the night or somewhere extremely late, which you could think is like a little bit unfortunate. But if you talk to like... Most creative people that's what happens. It's so annoying because you don't we can't control it. It just like comes, you hear it and you're just like, "Oh my God, this song is so good." And like I have to record that uh, I can even hear this arrangement sometimes like I can hear an entire song in my head and then of course, I try to record it, and then I send it or I show it to Olaf and he makes the chords, or I do some of it on my own with the piano, maybe the next day or so um. But yeah, sometimes I do actually decide that, okay, let's write songs today. And then, of course, it's the easiest way to just start with a chord or like a few chords that sounds nice. And um, yeah, I think it's really, then it's even more easy, I think, to write uh, some kind of melody um, with, with a piano.
0: Okay, so you, uh, you like having a couple of chords to start on top of rather than just with a melody and then add the chords later? Good
1: question. If I can say what I think, I think you usually hear the melody in your head and you hear the chords in your head and then you sit by the piano and you try to figure out what you actually hear in terms of chords.
2: If I'm unlucky, I record something on my phone like a very good vocal melody, but then I can't remember the tempo of the song nor the i like so i started to like uh snap my fingers now when i sing so i don't have to you know end up in that situation <laughs> i mean we've been writing songs for quite some time now it's like been 15 years almost so it's uh it's funny i kind of recently explored that issue with the tempos and stuff and if i decide to write i i i wouldn't just sit like this you know and try to hear something then i need the piano gotcha but if i go to to bed <laughs> and try to sleep <laughs> then i can hear something singing in my head and usually i have the words also then uh, like the theme of the song
1: lyrical theme
2: yeah the, the 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 lyrics
1: the meaning yeah
2: yeah cuz it's it could be some sentence somebody said during the day like when you said i can see your name which would be like such a, such a great song title in a way <laughs> i can see our name you just keep going from there. I can see your name, but I can't see your face, but I can, like the themes, I think is like endless in a way, because every day you experience something new. Yeah. It's like, it's just the, the, the unconscious, like the mind, like it like, collects information and then we take it out in, in a song um, or music or I guess every artist works different. It's, is if you're a painter, maybe you saw something, but you didn't really notice that you saw it, but then you write, you get the inspiration to draw something and you maybe draw something you already seen or you see it in your mind or, or whatever, or in a scary movie or...
1: Yeah, exactly. You're, you're trying to creatively ex- explain something that is not easily explained in normal words or normal sentences, because you can sit and talk and talk about like something that you saw or something that you experienced, something that someone that you met, for example, but it's with the language of music or with the language of um, painting, that you can express uh, emotions in a much more direct way and i think that's that's really essential to songwriting because otherwise if you're just constructing parts or if you're just thinking in terms of a uh, pure harmony or what keyboard sound should i use here or what exact words will sound good here then you go always going to end up with something that is quite stiff so you need to I- inject every song that you do with some real meaning and some real soul
2: yeah i think that's the that's the driving force for every artist that you don't i don't think it's easy Force it, or I think it's almost impossible to force it in a way that you have it. You have a need to do it, and that's why it's such a rare choice of profession as well.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's interesting what you mentioned also with being uh, conscious about uh, tempo, because another thing that I think we do well with this band, and that not every band think about, is um, also uh, what keys uh, things should be in, because. You can start start to write a riff as a guitar player. You can be really happy with how the riff goes. And then you put some vocals on it. And then you try to like shoehorn in the singer. And the singer has to sing in a very uncomfortable key and whatever. And there's been a million times where both me and Lise together have switched around the, the uh, keys a lot, not only for the song in general, but we actually t- tend to modulate and uh, do a lot of key changes within the songs as well. We try to cover them up as much as possible so it doesn't become confusing for people but we had that with um with a bunch of songs like we had a ballad on the helix album called unified which contains seven eight key changes but none of them are super noticeable they're just there in order to to present the perfect um intervals and the perfect uh, different pitches for the different singers so i i think that's really important to work with some choruses you can have a Phenomenal vocal line. You can have a great chord progression in the background. You can have a um, great arrangement with the uh, keyboards and guitars, but it still doesn't work at all because the, the singer is singing in a, completely in the wrong key. And then that's the good thing, since he's is both a composer and a singer. Then we can actually sit and work on it together. And you can um, take all the keyboards. You know, We work in the Cubase normally. Take uh, all the um, keyboards, just transpose them, keep the drums, Have Elise sing along to it and see, is it better now? And if it's obviously better when she's just singing along with it, then that's what we roll with. And guitars be damned because I can always adapt to playing in F sharp or G sharp instead of the uh, E minor comfortable guitarist key. And anyway, that's going to also make um, all your different songs sound a little bit interesting, more interesting when they're flowing in an album as well. I think this is something we always highly prioritized. And it's also something that that is not so guitar typical, because you get a lot of guitarists writing albums, and then everything is in E minor. And then you have two songs in A minor somewhere in the middle, and the rest is E minor again. So we, we, we tried to think about that when we put together the, um, the track list also. So the, it, the next song always sounds a little bit fresh. I think it's fine to have two or three at the most songs in the same key. But if they're also in a similar tempo, it's going to start to sound samey quite quick. And you might not notice that uh, as a casual, non-musical uh, listener, but your brain will.
0: In like the early 2000s, the whole metalcore thing, there would be albums, whole albums of these metalcore bands, and they're all in C minor or like C phrygian because they're tuned to drop C. And it was just, it was bad.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, sometimes, sometimes that makes perfect sense if rhythm is what is the core of your band. Then you know that's fine. I think there's a couple of Meshuggah albums where they really did that consciously. They didn't want to do any key changes at all, and the, everything was on the lowest string, with you know a few exceptions, of course. And uh, and that's super cool because Mishuga is a very rhythmically based band. It's not about melodies per se, not at least not traditional melodies as as we approach them. So I think it's uh, it's really up to see what your what your style of music and what you want to create dictates for you as well.
2: I was also going to add uh, with the with the songs, when we write songs, that uh, sometimes we change the lyrics if we find a song be like with the melody and the tempos and everything is good, but maybe it's not so fitting for the album or the, the theme of the album or Amaranth in general. <laughs> uh, and then we can always, also sometimes we change the, or usually we do make a lot of changes in the lyrics after.
1: Yeah, exactly, because uh, often <laughs> when we are singing along with a chorus, Often when when you do like the chorus singing, uh, Elise, you very often mention some words and maybe I add some words there and that gives you like the general idea. What what is the feeling that you want to convey? But sometimes that can be blabbery, blabbery words and then you kind of want to make some more coherent sense to it. But it was a very interesting way to work with um, a song called Make It Better, which started a lot more like a ballad in both uh, rhythm and uh, tempo and lyrics. Yeah, exactly.
2: Could be kind of fun to actually play a little bit from that which was the original song and which then turned out to be the way it is on the album
1: right now so uh the, in that particular example make it better it started like a like a real ballad and it, this is the way that it least approached it but uh, i think with many songs many fast like let's say power metal songs could probably almost if you lower the tempo 60 bpm almost any let's say Freedom Call or Stradivarius song could also be made into a a really epic ballad also. So it kind of depends and vice versa. You can often take the ballads, speed them up and do something really catchy with it uh, as well.
0: Very true. Hunting high and low. Mm -hmm. Wow, I'd pay to hear that.
1: (laughs) And some piano on that and now also change the um, uh, lyrics to you all I ever know. <laughs> and then some piano. And then, you see, you have a ballad. So this, this is really, it's not something that we typically do a lot, but sometimes you, you can hear in your head that, okay, this song is awesome in its current interpretation, but it deserves to maybe have a little bit more of an um, emotional theme and make it more ballady or vice versa. Because with the, um, with the Make It Better song, what, what we ended up thinking was that, Yeah, it would be really cool if this song had like a marching tempo and it's proclaiming our manifesto, how we approach life and not necessarily politics, but personal philosophy and stuff like that. And let each singer sing out their manifesto in it. And it turned out to be a really cool idea.
0: It's really unique in the in the catalog of Amaranth, I think, for just... uh the structure the feel the tempo if i think everything you do feels very cohesive like i don't think there's anything you've ever done that felt out of place to me there's
1: a couple <laughs> like
0: definitely ones that maybe were a bit out there but i don't know it always sounds like amaranth to me but that one has a a, a really unique feel and uh, that's cool that it was it started out as something else and you kind of changed it up to have a certain um, kind of a sound and it worked.
1: Yeah, it's also funny too to, to see the, uh, the progress of the uh, song because when it starts like in its very early concept, like in the, this case, it started like a um, ballad in Elise's uh, brain and then we take it, you know, to the studio we arrange it as a like marching song, you bring it into the uh, real studio, to Jacob Hans' studio in total isolation for, for three months and like already when we were arranging the song, we were kind of imagining okay, so what will the pyros be to the main riff here? <laughs> and also, like, where will the pyro hits be in the in the chorus? And it was really cool to see that whole thing go uh, full circle. Like, same thing with uh, with the song Archangel as well, that when we finally stand on stage in in Finland in 2021, and you see the fire, and you see the 15,000 people digging along with it, you can kind of feel that, okay, your little song baby grew up, and now it's standing on its own legs. So... It's a, it's a good feeling. <laughs> I will often
0: imagine what the music video will be as I'm writing the song, just to have a kind of a visual to go along with it. So that's, um, th- have thinking about the the pyro and the like, and the, what you said earlier about like the master, like the compression on the verse being different and stuff like that to make it pop. Um, that's funny because that's not stuff that you like necessarily think about when you first start writing songs you're so into this all this other stuff you like just like making sure that you have chords and melodies that work and but then as you start to get better at it you're it's more visual like there's more that helps with the the sort of the feeling of it and stuff that's um i can i can imagine where i think the the pyro would go in the chorus too is it like yeah Ah. yep
1: no 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 fire 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 yeah,
0: Perfect.
2: I have a few memories, but or do you remember how we wrote like every single song from the very first album? I remember for example. <rings>
1: not really, but I remember a lot of them. I would say the most, but go on.
2: But like Stardust I remember extremely well. I've seen enough. Now I left the star, high universe, star that leads the way. Hail. I remember I just like. It was probably also a ballad. If
1: I remember correctly, this was um, you had like a voice memo with a bunch of different um, ideas on it. And uh, Elise was kind of playing them all in a row. And then this vocal line comes, and I'm like, holy, holy moly, this is awesome! And it was quite a bit slower, also. I think, yeah, like you said, maybe a bit uh, more ballad. Usually. And then I was like, yeah, with a little bit of tempo and some double bass here and some cool rhythmization, then this will really, really flow. But it uh, is. Yeah. I also have to point out what, what um, Trey was saying, imagining music videos, because this is this is almost key part of us uh, uh, writing music, is that there's. There's a lot of enthusiasm, not all the time, but when you hit that magic spot, like a great chorus, something like that, and when Elise gets energized by a great chorus, for example, she will quite often fly up and start to illustrate, like, okay, this is how I'm how I'm going to move to this song live, like a proper cabaret artist, like a musical artist. This is how I should move in the video, and yeah, and imagine me with this kind of uh, clothing on, and I'm like, yeah, I see, I absolutely see, because. This is also key to how I'm going to arrange it. If she imagines this in a specific way with certain um, uh, color themes and dressing in a certain way. This also dictates, like, okay, I, how I should approach it in the final product when it comes to um, arranging keyboards and these things. Wow. So I always get a, um, get a rendition of what the new music video is going to look like in real time.
2: It's the same when we wrote like this kind of more, the songs with more attitude in them. It's like a little yep. hard for me to sit down then and write those kind of things. It's like when I was like, basic I told you I'm on fire, now I am a so i need to like feel it or like I need it to like a job, But that, that's like mostly with the, the, the rhythm, and the, I love this like three three, three bits, uh, three three steps. <laughs> How do you call it?
1: Ah, okay. This is a dancing technique for um, you uninvited. I would be one of those.
2: <laughs> the, also three.
1: Ah, oh, you mean, ah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. In, uh, like, songs in 6-8 yeah, yeah. or with a triplet feel. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Yeah, exactly.
2: Those are so great to dance.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to feel it in your body, and that informs the whole song.
2: Yeah, I think, like, for example, songs like Drop Dead Cynical, me and Olaf would never have written that song if it wasn't that, because it was like usually Friday night or something and we create always our own party because we never, well we stopped going out like years ago <laughs> <laughs> and if we couldn't have felt it then, then you want to write, I think maybe that's also one reason why we wrote most, have been writing mostly uptempo songs because we're like as a you want to just move and then when you also move your body I think I think uh, it helps the mind, the brain to think and to create when you move your body as well. I don't know about RML artists and songwriters. I don't know if they move, but if you don't, or if you're planning to, I don't know who's actually watching this, but yeah, professionals or not professionals, try it out, try to move your body. When you have a like, you want something you like, if you do this with your arm, I promise. Cause we have so many like, yeah, you should try it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do it. I got to get better at dancing anyways. You can't, I can't be out here with weak-ass moves, you know?
2: It sends signals to the brain. If you do like this with your arm, you know, it's going to... So it kind of awakens, I think. That's my theory. Yeah. The automatic, we wrote that in a hotel room. I was thrown out of my apartment, and I had to move into a hotel because they were doing construction.
1: <laughs> it sounded more dramatic in the beginning.
2: <laughs> and then we just, like, went to the hotel room I wanted to... Yeah, get a good, getting get in a good mood, and we wrote the um, automatic. It's who I am. What I wanna be my life automatic. And then we did it only with vocals, and you had a little uh, the little keyboard with you, so we didn't even use the guitars then.
1: Exactly, and that's. Um, I think this is an interesting aspect in general uh, about what you said with, with with the dancing. That I think a lot of metal artists can can say, yeah, but I don't dance. But I think the point is one hundred percent there. I think every aspiring songwriter who's you know, plays the guitar or maybe plays the drums or whatever. When they really like something, they they can feel it, and then they start to move to it. You've seen it with a million different uh, YouTube songwriters, for example, when they get into the zone. And if the music has a groove that makes you want to move, it means that you're uh, you're onto something. Because at the end of the day,
2: or like if you like move, you make sure you create a track which you can that fits your mood. That's mostly how I yeah, yeah exactly and. A-
0: the other way around that's cool i'm gonna i'm gonna have to try that a lot more because i feel uh like when you were like i don't you don't write songs like this I was like, oh, God, that's exactly how I do it. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess that there's the part of the song where, or the part of the process where you kind of have to do that, but it's not the part where you're getting inspired and, and coming up generating material.
1: And here we're on to something, something really interesting because I think those two uh, processes are fundamentally different processes. So the, the way that we do things is that when we are creating there's very little of the hmm and uh, like playing around with, with small things and blah, blah, whatever. I often record quick demo guitars when Elise is still around just so we get an idea of where it's going. And typically in the demo process, I don't re-record that. So we, we tend to make uh, demos that sound terrible to, to other people. And it's always funny, like when we're showing the, the songs to the other guys, they, they they have a little bit of a harder time to understand what the end result is going to be. When I hear an Elise vocal line, together with my demo guitars and some quickly thrown in Superior tr- Drummer 3 drums, I, I can hear the finished product. I can hear what it will sound with um, all the harmonies in the background and the, the, the final pr- production. And I'm like, yeah, this gonna be such a great song it's gonna really gonna work but what other people hear is like (laughs) something that doesn't always sound so great so it was funny when um when nils joined in on the um, on the helix album that was the first album process that he was part of and i was happily showing him some tracks uh, at my home studio and and i could see that he was a little bit concerned (laughs) he's like yeah, I, I don't get all of this a hundred percent. So I, I was kind kind of actually backtracking, like, yeah, just for your point of view or point of reference, uh, here's what the Nexus sounded like, or here's what Drop Dead Cynicals sounded like in their initial, like very first demo phase. And he's like, Okay, I feel a lot better about this
0: right now. <laughs> he was he was like, Oh god, have I joined the band for their downward spiral? Is this it? <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. They're jumping the shark. (laughs) No, but uh, I, I think I think it really depends because I think it also makes a lot of sense for certain bands that are very production oriented and likes to do a lot of the productions themselves, like like yourself, for example. I mean, you're aiming for much more of a finished product in your studio. So for you, it makes a lot more sense to actually sit in your studio and really work on it. And that's also what we end up doing when we're down at Jacob Hansen's studios. But before that, th- there will be a lot of um, musical flailing around. Like, for example, when I'm recording my demo guitars, I can take two, three hours to record the song properly, like sort of what I would do in the studio. But it doesn't, I don't, don't need it to hear if the, the song or the, even the guitar riffs are working. The same with, uh, like, if I record a solo. In the demo version, it will typically be the, the very first take, not the, even the second take. Because it's just to show that solo goes here, and that my first solo idea is that they're actually flowing with the song, and that it fits the song to have a solo in that specific part. And it also makes it much easier. Uh, and I think this is key, actually. Because if you've spent a lot of time working on your demo, you're, you're going to uh, be very adverse to changing it when you have to change it. For example you notice in the studio that, okay, this key didn't fit Mills at all, or this uh, riff didn't fit nearly as good with growling as I was hoping, or whatever thing. like, You can hear that Elise is not as happy with the, uh, with, with the key that we chose in the studio as we were in, um, when doing the demo. Then if you haven't spent a million years working on your demos, then you're not going to be adverse to fixing it because you didn't spend so much time doing it in the first place. You might have spent a lot of time composing it, but to transpose something, it takes two seconds in Cubase these days. So I think it's good to um, to let the songs be flexible until they uh, are actually recorded. At the end of the day, the same thing actually even goes with uh, rhythms. I can spend, I typically spend actually a lot of time thinking about like the main riff rhythms and also the rhythms like beneath the vocals. How do they go in general? But more relatively often, let's say thirty five percent out of the times, so he will change it to something that is more drummer friendly. And maybe to a rhythm that's more catchy, he sometimes also just simplifies it. Sometimes it makes it more complicated in order to make it more um, interesting. And for me, it's all about like, okay, yeah. In I would say 98% of those times, I will just say, okay, we roll with that. Because I didn't spend a thousand hours like recording perfect guitars to it that could potentially be reamped now that we're in the studio anyway to save some time and, you know, these things. So I think the, um, the, the songs, as, as a songwriter, at least the way that we work, I think it's really important for us to have a flexible and open mind until the song is set in stone and mixed and already mastered and sent off to the label. That's when everything is 100% decided. Until then, anything is open if it's for the betterment of the song. Because, um, yeah, just to add, because I've heard a lot of uh, other bands' demos, and to me, they oft- I-, I can often tell that, okay, so this is exactly it. in the guitars and in the keyboards and in the vocals, exactly how they will record these songs in the studio they just like set down the blueprint so they know exactly what they're going to play and i think it also has to do with the nature of how much time you have in the studio we're quite a fortunate band in the sense that we've always had the opportunity to spend quite a lot of time in the studio and um, the studio when i say the studio it doesn't have to be exactly only Jacob's studio sometimes we do this a little bit split up over different studios. We did that with um, recent singles, like PVP, for example, where um, uh, everyone recorded their vocals in Stockholm, for example, but the principle remains the same, that we will typically not use stuff that we recorded in the home studio. We, we like to, to do the things for real and take a lot of time with it in the studio instead of having that time being spent when doing the demos instead.
0: So, in that sort of sense of working very quickly during the writing process, and at uh, least before you joined us, Olaf had also described how quick you are with coming up with parts. When you guys are working together, you'll just, like, spit out 10 different ideas for melodies and top lines. Um, yeah. So, that's something that I talk about a, a good bit um, when talking about songwriting, and I actually don't really feel like I'm that great. I mean, I'm definitely not that good at it. I can do it a little bit, um, but... I uh, tend to like, you know, come up with a couple ideas and then agonize over it. But um, I have always very impressed and, and sort of jealous of people who can come up, who can spit stuff out on the spot really quickly like that. Maybe, Elise, you can give us a little bit of an idea of how you reached that, that point, how you got to a point where you're able to do that kind of thing. Um, is there anything I- that you think you could tell, like, up-and-coming writers who want to be able to do that?
2: Okay, Well, I have kind of a boring answer to that. <laughs> and that's the 10,000 hours principle. Because in the beginning of our career, I remember... Um, well, I mean, okay, to, to begin with, um, songwriting is in my family. That I grew up with uh, my mother, who was a songwriter... My grandfather was a guitar, a jazz guitarist. Well, he was of course inspiring my mother because I, I never met him. My grandmother was also like writing her own songs. Like my my mom wanted to be a writer, uh, but we, she wrote songs like almost every day at home uh, about the things which happened. <laughs> so I mean, actually now since we're having this interview, which is very specified on. The songwriting, I guess all the credit goes to my mom because she was the one, I mean, I wrote songs when I was going on my way to kindergarten about that I was going to kindergarten. And like she was writing songs about my grandma and grandpa and grand—so everybody. And I still remember those songs. So they were obviously like catchy songs.
1: (laughs) Good as James!
2: About the weather, or if we were going to buy ice cream, and if, if the also About everything, it, it was all about music and also then to write songs, like to create our own songs. My brother became a songwriter, and also my sister. <laughs> so we're all just creating our own shit. And uh, I guess that was what I really valued, in a way, uh, more than being a singer and uh, just being an artist. Uh, even though I wanted to be a musical artist but I always had this that I had to write my own things I never wrote diary but I wrote songs about stuff that happened in my life since I was very young like I have I have so much stuff recorded um, yeah and my first like heartbreak and blah 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 blah, like all this stuff uh, but of course back then I didn't really plan to like you know give it out or it was mostly just for a, a driving force like a need to be able to I think it was like self-therapy also, to be able to just get stuff out, or if I came up with something really funny. Then, of course, I, I started to kind of, I've kind of found out that it's possible to work as a songwriter. I kind of figured that out later. Uh, yeah, when when I started to meet people in the business, I, um, yeah, since I was dancing and singing in this cabaret, uh, I met people who was like um, asking me, well, Aren't you going to be a pop singer? Aren't you going to release? Like, I know these songwriters here and there. And I was always like, but okay, yeah, that's cool. And then I went to many studios working with, like recording other people's songs. So there's also a lot of that in my baggage. (laughs) (laughs) From my past. (laughs) And and I didn't really like the songs. Like, usually I didn't like the songs, you know? That's when I realized like, okay, shit, I'm really fucking picky. Like, I don't like... I loved actually most of the hits which was playing on MTV and stuff like that. I loved ABBA, I loved Queen. So I knew also quite early still what I, what I thought was good and what I didn't like. Because obviously, um, yeah, I guess songwriting is just so personal and it comes probably mostly from what you actually like yourself, um, which why, yeah, the world has like some top, top songwriters, like the best songwriters in the world. I mean, if you're going to get go down that slippery slope. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know how to say this. <laughs> if you want to go down the drain or like if you want to like...
0: Go down that path. The rabbit hole.
2: Yeah, the rabbit hole. The
0: rabbit hole,
2: exactly. Yeah. Like Max out Martin. why and how some people are the best songwriters in the world. Like, what is it? Oh, but it's like the...
0: Well, the real question is why the fuck are they all Swedish?
2: See? That's also
0: like... It's in the water, exactly. It's in the water. I drank some of the water, but not enough. Yeah, Max Martin and like, what the hell? And you guys.
1: And I mean, also such a different, uh, different movements as well, because you had um, obviously the the pop scene spearheaded by ABBA in the 70s. And uh, later we had our rock bands, which in turn were spearheaded by Europe and bands like that. And then in the 90s, you had like the Gothenburg. Melodic death metal scene. Late '90s, you had Max Martin, Dennis Pop writing some of the biggest hits in the world, and and it goes on from there. Like later, we have um, electronic music, also a scene, like um, Swedish House Mafia and Avicii and, and stuff like that. So I think it. I mean, in in just a few words, I think it began with with ABBA, and then it's all. It's often been said that it's connected to our. Um, Musical uh, infrastructure, like the musical schools that we have, for example. And uh, I mean, in my particular case, we we had access in suburban area that I was growing up with. Uh, in we, there was a rehearsal room that anyone could uh, could use with good amplifiers, good Mesa M- Boogie amplifiers, and a pretty decent drum kit and um, like portable studio and and stuff like that. I mean, obviously it helped us a lot. We spent five days a week every week, rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing all the time. And I mean, exactly like Elise said before, you need to gain your first 10,000 hours in order to to gain your footing. That's when you start to know what you're doing. And it's only from there that you start to develop an expertise. It's a little bit like when you're starting to become a medical doctor, first you become a doctor, but it's only then we you choose your specialization and actually start to work with it for real.
2: Yeah, but it's also when you hear from other, like when other people kind of give you Credits for um, that they say what you do is good, you know. And it was actually in sixth grade, uh, like in middle school. Yeah, I went to a music school in, in uh, mid school, which is, how old are you? You're like t- 12, 13, 14 years old. Yeah, that's when we had this class once a week where we got to write, or once we got a project to write our own song. It's like, okay, you're going to write a song. And obviously I did that and... I had got to decide, like, what the instrument was going to play, like the drums, the guitars. So it's something already started there. And that's very much thanks to the Swedish school system that they... Value that as much as being good at other stuff and I, of course i could hear that my song was maybe a little bit more advanced than the others <laughs> that it was a really good song <laughs> so your
1: was, songs like, didn't suck
0: oh. know,
2: but it was like a solid song and i have it still on a cassette
0: oh my gosh so we like, got to hear that somewhere if you can find that
2: yeah, that's what I, I really have to find it. And I hope it's not broken because, you know, these old cassettes that they easily break. Or maybe it's just too old, but I don't have a cassette player, so I don't know. But my mom and mom maybe have saved it somewhere.
0: There are places you can send them in and they'll digitize it for you. Even if it's broken, they can fix that shit.
2: Yeah. Anyhow, I played some of my, my songs, which I recorded mostly with only vocals, like, that I did like 10,000 harmonies. <laughs> and then I played it at my um What the hell
1: There's there's no good um, equivalent in English because uh, I don't really have it in the U.S. or the U.K. But it's basically um, a second home that you go to, which is kind of a school, but you don't really do school activities. You just do fun stuff too. Whenever you're until whenever your parents
0: come and pick you up at seven in the evening. Oh yeah, like an after-school program. Yeah, we've got that.
1: After-school, yeah, something like that. Yeah, exactly.
2: It was like a lot of kids there, which had like yeah, a little bit problematic uh, backgrounds and like maybe not didn't like it so much at home or maybe you know so most there were a lot of very like music interested people there like rappers and then there was the hard rock uh, the rock dudes and then it was me which did this so we were it was a lot of like self-made kind of atmosphere there that and also like i mean it's many kids dreams to just like become an artist and then just like take over the world basically yeah (laughs) so i mean i just played it there and these kids were kind of hard attitude and I played some of my stuff and they like kind of got teary-eyed and they were like oh my god it's like the most beautiful thing we ever heard like you have to do something so of course that also gave me kind of the self-confidence but then I have to actually say that it wasn't until I met Olaf that I dared to show everything because I had like these two boxes at home with songs I wrote had been writing since the age of I don't know 10 or something and Olaf started to kind of, <laughs> in, in Olaf's kind of way, dig through and like kind of, hmm, you know, organize the stuff and like we could do something with this. I was like, oh my god, really? Yes. And then, um, yeah, we uh, we started to go through, and I sang them for you, and I showed you like some demos I made with the like people I met along the way from the studios here and there. Um, I did actually only, did I even have any demos? Or was you the first person I recorded my own songs with? You
1: didn't have anything recorded. Uh, and Elise is being a little bit humble about it here. Uh, the first time that I was uh, at her place, she brought out uh, the Elise Ideas box, and it contained songs, a shit ton of them. I mean, they were notated, so it was just lyrics, and she still remembered them. It was also like a full scale, scale uh, theater play, and a bunch of poetry and written fragments of uh, other stuff. And it was just like, this is insane. Huge ass box, just filled with ideas. And she just, uh, there was like some, some um, song that she showed to me. She was just like reading it from the paper and singing it. And I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is an incredibly good song. And at this point, this was back in 2006, we were already on the fourth album with Dragonland or right before the fourth album with, uh, with uh, Dragonland. So it wasn't like I couldn't tell. And Elise was really really young at the time. I was myself 24 and you would have been 20 or 21 at the time. And it was incredibly competent songwriting for a person of that age. And I think it was even from a couple of years before that, that it was written. And the, the, the talent was obviously, it was there, it was uh, obvious. But I think I interrupted you, Elise. Go on.
2: No, 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 but that's the thing. Like, yeah, I remember now. I never, I didn't ever, I didn't ever record any of my own songs. I only had them um, recorded other people's songs. Yeah. And I think I maybe showed you that. Like.
1: Exactly. Because uh, the, the song that you showed to me, the very first time that you were in my apartment, before I even had a studio, I had you recording it on the most rudimentary piece of uh, software. I still remember this song, and it's actually a brilliant one. What and it was there that I, for me, that I realized that, okay, I, Need to do something together with Elise. I really hope we can can work on something yeah. together. So that that was the seed of working together.
2: Yeah, that's when we decided to. And they, then it was Yumi and Elias from Dragonland who plays the piano uh, at Amaranthine, for example. Who uh, we arranged the songs like musically, some like three of them. And then we were like planning, like, yeah, we should record this, and you would be uh, helping me out, and we would send it to some record label and blah blah blah. And then we, we, we um, anyways, then ended up starting Amaranth, uh, because obviously it was more cool to do metal than my sad...
1: Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're so sad music.
2: <laughs> no, but uh, then anyways, then that's when I started to realize that I started to get some kind of like hopes up and confidence. And then I went to my regular job, which was just like the, the show, showbiz art uh, job, like the cabaret show that I did, singing other people's songs and dancing and stuff. And I was like, so, so basically what I like to do was to write songs on my free time. Uh, and that's what people learn sometime, maybe in their life, that what if you could actually work with your biggest hobby? Wouldn't that be kind of nice? Yeah, I, it was very important for me. I felt then at the time when I was 20, after writing songs for fun as a hobby, that I would, that's something I would really like to work with. Yeah, so the idea with Amrath in, in the first place was that I would was gonna help out
0: with the songwriting. And that you wouldn't even be the singer that you were just helping with, with writing the songs.
2: Yeah, I like to write the, the catchy poppy stuff because obviously that was my, my expertise is is the Swedish pop, you could call it, or <laughs> whatever it is, Swedish music. <laughs> Um, yeah, but then we we, we wrote uh, the first album, and then I think at the time I wanted to have confirmation. Like I always asked you, Olaf, for example, like is this good, or do you like this better, or should it be like this, or should it be like that? You know, I always wanted to kind of have a guide or a guide framework. Or, yeah, yeah, I didn't ever think that I would just be able to decide hundred percent myself, and I guess that's where we start to go into where I'm at now, where I obviously just decide everything myself. (laughs) I mean, I can tell my, (laughs) But I mean, I write songs for other artists besides Amaranth. I can do that because I have the kind of confidence. I know I might even be kind of late when it comes to that because I know some writers who are much more young and we have like Tuve for example. She wasn't very old when she started to write really big hits.
0: Well, you just didn't know that you were writing big hit quality songs because you didn't show them to anybody until you, you know, you didn't you didn't know that they were that good.
2: Yeah, but thanks for saying it. I mean, for somehow I've been thinking like, what if I was in, a, in a, some other city? Like so, if I would be in Stockholm, what if I would have met some other kind of people? in a much early age, because I moved around a lot. So it was first when, when I came to Gothenburg where things really started to happen. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I think it's mostly about that you find the right people to share your ideas with, or uh, I don't know if you would be friends with someone who's in some studio and they, like to did. I love her story because she was like, yeah, oh, okay, let's come here I have these ideas. And then you just start to collaborate and then, because obviously you need someone who can make the music for it. You cannot not just sit there on your own, like I have this amazing vocal melody and lyrics, but you need a good band as well and you are a good producer. So, so it's, it, that's, I think is the tricky part, but nowadays, since I can call myself a top liner that I know, like I have my product, which is just basically myself, like every musician or artist or um, painter or guitarist or whatever you can hear who is who. And I mean, that's a good thing. So that's why, for example, when people also have negative opinions about your work, it's like, yes, but that's what I hear. Like, that's how my, that's what my mind creates. And you can't please everyone because everybody has different taste. That's something like, which is really hard because then it would be like, okay, sure. But I could also write these kinds of songs which is like in a, from a different genre, for example, I don't know, country maybe. Which, by the way, is a very big genre to work for. But yeah, it's like most important is to always keep, stay true.
1: There we go. Ma'am.
2: <laughs> and, and, and like I said, the, the confidence came, it came with just doing it. After, I think, I think it was maybe before we started to write, when we wrote the Drop Cynical I think that album...
1: Massive Addictive.
2: Massive Addictive, oh, <laughs> thank you. I think then, like at that time, I stopped analyzing so much that if what I do is good enough. Can we just solve this now? Because this makes me crazy. Because then, also, on the other hand, how can you know that you're a good songwriter before you release anything? And to be able to release something, you need to get some kind of acknowledge. Well, we were lucky because we had MySpace and it was free to upload stuff there. Mm. Yeah.
1: It was a good music platform. It was a great way to start. Actually, it was good, good way to uh, discover music in general. Also,
2: and now there is YouTube, which is also kind of free platform for people to release stuff. Uh, exactly. Of course, it's not cheap. Maybe to just ask people to play for you or to uh,
0: to get good feedback.
2: Uh, someone else can tell us how it's like nowadays. <laughs> And then also, uh, I thought that, yeah, for example, Avicii, his story as well, when he was also on some kind of SoundCloud or something, Mm -hmm. where he released uh, mixtapes or the same thing as the good old mixtapes, which we recently learned about from a Swedish documentary that uh, what the community community did, and they sent... Uh, mix tapes to each other.
1: Yeah, but I I, I miss this uh, smaller, more t- tight knit uh, community because uh, like like MySpace was, you went on a band pro- profile page, the music started to autoplay, which was in this uh, specific occasion only was actually a good thing. You could also do a lot with the design, so you could present the entire band. You could have a little section for what the band members were. You can also like have a bio. And you would get an in- instant idea of what, what the band was about. It's actually rather strange that the uh, Spotify profiles, for example, that they're so incredibly sparse. They, you have to click your way to things. And I understand you know, Spotify as a, as a big money-making machine and a big corporation that they want to keep a little bit more clean. And that's also the day and age that we live in, like more Apple-oriented uh, design philosophy and, and so on and so forth. But... I remember, uh, just as, a, as an example, I was not aware of um, Camelot until I ran into their MySpace page, which was probably in 2006 or seven, something like that. And uh, March of Mephistone was, was playing. And they had this red theme to go along with, with the song itself. And it started with the And I was like, that's, that's so cool. I really like this band because I immediately understand what the, they're about. It's a different thing these days if you're browsing around on, on Spotify. and I suppose it's a good thing to let the music speak for itself but it's also it's the song that is the most popular that's going to start to play first most likely which makes it a self-perpetuating thing even if you release a new album people will still go to your main song from you know 10 years ago or whatever not always but it's a little bit typically like this so i think myspace was a great platform and you can reach people immediately since you could also send messages so what happened was that back in 2008, when we published our first four songs, there was an instant explosion. I mean, we got three record label offers. And back then, uh, it was two or 3,000 fans immediately in the first two days, which was back then a shit to ton of people. I mean, that was a good, small, little, solid, dedicated platform to start to work with. And from then, it's just grown exponentially since, since then. But that is the very seed of the band. It didn't start anywhere else basically. And it's also interesting to. Um, it's one thing with the affirmation and the confirmation, but if, if we think back to it, I mean, before we released those songs to MySpace, we were so ultra confident. And it's, it's good when you have that feeling, because it's far from always as a, you know, recording musician, you know, back in the day, I loved the Dragonland albums, but it was different with the, with the Amherst songs, because it was a truly unique identity from the... Um, from the composition of the uh, songs to the composition of the band itself. And, you know, the the songs that we were about to put up and everything. It was uh, it was a good space to be in. It's been yeah, 14 I mean, years already. It was, it, was, Damn it. <laughs> it was the
2: best songs um, I ever heard. Also, I was like, why didn't anyone do yeah, yeah, exactly. this in the past? Like, I love fucking pop. My, my brother was a growler. So I've been listening to that all my life. And then, like, it was just a, a, the combination of the best of the best, and then a little bit of the Eurodisco keyboards there, which I loved, like Basic Elements, for example. And then it's like, oh, my God, is this is everything in the same bag, which I love. And I was always thinking, like, there must be some other person out there who has the same taste as I do.
1: <laughs> but, to, but to speak about that, to, uh, to, to actually go back to the, uh, what do you call it in English, the kernel of the poodle or something like that, about the, uh, Elise and how she writes vocalized, because because um, on the first album, it, it was already there. Like you spitting out the melodies and whatever, but it's it's exactly like you said. Like just my take on it, because you're a lot more knowledgeable which direction you should go these days, and it's um, better quality, quicker. There was more work with it back in the day, and it had to be changed a little bit here, and you fixed them a little bit there. Especially on the last two three albums, it's now almost instantaneous. Like the last few songs that were written. Uh, has also been the fastest ones to uh, that you uh, come up with the uh, vocal ideas for. Like an insane example was uh, PVP, which we released um, October last year, I believe, and um, we had set aside an entire day for you know writing only the the vocal lines. I had a very short uh, kind of open g- guitar intro just to set a general feeling for it, but it could change a lot from there. And you did it in forty minutes. It was done, and I'm like. There's no reason to continue to work on this because this, this is not perfect. So why try to <laughs> improve on it? It's incredibly fast. And I, I, I could hear that within the context of the song that was uh, written, with the ideas that we had, with the tempo and whatever. There was no way that it could be improved upon in, in any way.
2: Well, I mean, it, it, it is kind of a hard question to answer, I think, because I thought about it since I also did a lot of songwriting camps. Both me and Olaf had um, Warner Chapel as our pub- publishing, and with the opportunity kind of just write songs and to they help you to to give it to, to other artists and collect like put it together well if you're in the music industry, you know what a publishing company does also for for actors and uh, scripts and writers and stuff so i I went on many of, of these camps. I started already i think it was seven years ago now. For my first camp, and then you get kind of thrown into a room with people you usually don't know. Well, now now I know almost um, well almost everyone uh, in in the same field at least in Stockholm who is songwriters and Malmo. There is not so many in Gothenburg besides metal musicians, but songwriters. So then you get like kind of put to the test that okay, you get three hours to complete the song, and then my job. Uh, since I'm not running for myself then at the, at those uh, camps usually, then you just basically need to make that person decide what they like. So your job is to just kind of spit out the ideas and somebody's making the tracks. And then you're like, okay, what about this? Do you want it to go like ah, up or would you like it go down or, down? or would you like it to be like da, 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 this ry- rhythm? Or would it like... That's a really hard question to ask, like, what, where does it come from? I, get, I always say it comes from the universe. It's, like, in the, in the energy around you. And then you are just, like, kind of the... I always feel like I'm kind of the...
1: The catalyst.
2: The catalyst, yeah. The, the, the voice, like, someone else is taking over my body and, I kind of spits the stuff out. And that's how I felt as well when we write the Amaranth songs. Usually, sometimes I don't even remember what I did or said or sang. Or, it's just, like, I'm there and I'm taking in... Like, like I said, it comes from, from the... Un, unconscious mind most of the time
1: exactly i mean it, um we've been discussing many times that it's yeah it's a lot like the songs has always been there so it's it, you are the uh, the conductor not conductor but yeah the, the catalyst or, or the vessel for it conduit the conduit that's the word that, that i was looking for exactly so you're kind of um shaping something that has been there or at least should have been there all, all along and uh, i think it's um Exactly like uh, Elisa say, it's your un- unconscious. It's as soon as you s- sit down and start to work on something, your unconscious knows before you. your brain knows, like your uh, left side of the brain. Uh, because your left side of the brain does a lot of thinking, and a lot of that thinking is actually not so great when you're trying to create. In a part of it, it's actually really necessary, especially when you're arranging complex uh, keyboard arrangements or... Let's say that you're doing a production element or whatever, or you're thinking about a rhythm, uh, like a bass drum pattern, for example, then you're, the left side of your brain is necessary. But when it comes to the emotional core of uh, composing, I think that to try to listen to your uh, subconscious uh, or unconscious even, it's really, really important. And I think it's easy to overlook that. And it's easy to, to let your left side of the brain do a lot of the thinking like, is this Metal enough? Is it cool enough? Is it up to date enough with what the scene kids think? Like, I don't know if people actually think like that. We don't. But, but anyways, and uh, I think it can also come in the way if you think too much, like, how is this going to work live? Because I think that if you feel it and you feel the rhythm exactly like we were talking about before, it will also translate well live instead of thinking like, yeah, 135 BPM is a good tempo to move to. That's your left brain thinking, left side of the brain thinking. But if you're listening not only to the right side of your brain, but to your subconscious, you you, don't, you act upon your instinct. And I think oh, yeah. for me, yeah. who's who really very much a nerd when it comes to harmony, music theory, I spent my good 10, probably more like 20, 30,000 hours uh, learning it to, to the smallest detail. It's really important for, for me, what's an important process for me to try to step away from that and actually follow my intuition. And I think... Elisa's taught me a great many things about how to compose music, but maybe that's one of the more important things. Like she would uh, verbally slap me around early on back in the things. she still does. But she's like, Olaf, now you're thinking. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah you're right, I'm thinking. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's important to, to, to let that side go. And for some people, it's obvious. For a lot of people like me, for example, it's not so obvious. And me and Elias, when we would uh, be, sit together in a room, and compose you know, 20 years ago in the early 2000s, it would be two brains working on something. And it takes forever to reach any kind of conclusion to, to anything. It takes a sweet time to compose music that way. But like I said, if there is any valuable lesson we have to teach anybody in, in Amaranth, I think not only for our own stylists, in the conceptual phase, go for your instinct 100%. And very often, your subconscious knows a lot better than your left side of the brain thinks that it knows, because you always have that instinct, okay, it came too fast, so it's probably not a good idea. Then you turn these ideas around and you end up going back to to the first fundamental idea that you had. That's a great uh, description of Chopin when he was uh, composing his nocturnes back in the day, when his uh, then-girlfriend would observe him, he would start to play something that sounded neat on the piano, he would be very happy, and then he was trying to twist it around, make it perfect. And he would get more and more frustrated until he realized that whatever he was working on was complete and utter crap. <laughs> so he just threw the pages away. And then the day after, he would start from the very beginning. Cling, 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 and he realized that he had a good idea to begin with before he started to overanalyze it. The over-analyze, uh, analyzing part comes after that because it's an important part of uh, making a good sounding modern metal album is that you need to do a lot of small adjustments. Use your left side of the brain a lot, and I think the the, the, exactly the same principle throughout is also um, very accurate when it comes to writing lyrics as well. Your brain or your subconscious knows where it's going, so don't try to stop it.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, everybody works so different.
1: Yeah, which is good.
2: I also learned that when I went to camps and I met so many top liners, and they were like in the end, I got most of the songs came out because they were good, you know. And then I just realized like what I was doing stuff's extremely fast and i was using the same method as i always used with the uh, amaranth and somehow it's some it's a winning concept and and then i guess that i will always continue that path and i think for people who are writing songs and they find like for they write maybe i don't know many songs and some of them are really stands out that they're extra good then maybe try to remember exactly what you did at the time was that something that you woke up hearing in your head was it something you worked on for two days or was it something that, you know what I mean? And then you just kind of, you find your own way of doing things. Uh, besides then, if you would be in Sweden and you're on this kind of songwriting um, camps, then you don't have any more time than two hours per song. So then you have to be quick. Otherwise you can, you're out. <laughs> no, but, but I think that's also one thing with the AMREAD stuff that we have been able to write so many songs and release so many songs. And also like that the sound has changed a little bit during the years. And like the only explanation that we have with that is that because it comes from us. And obviously we grow up. <laughs> no, but we, our experiences and our, everything about us change. And then that that's why the music has also sometimes changed into different directions. And I think that's normal and it's completely Fine, And it happens to most bands and some fans who are not songwriters themselves or musicians, they don't understand usually why does it sound different? Why is it not like the first album anymore? And it's like, yes, because we're uh, living creatures, like we have a cells are changing, then we experience things like the years go by. And you can't write about stuff which happened to you like 15 years ago anymore.
1: And just to underline, there are actual labor camps for writing songs in Sweden. Elise is not making this up.
2: No, no, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Songwriting camps. You go there and you write a lot of music in a very short amount of time.
0: Sounds like a good place to really knock out those 10,000 hours, get them, uh, get them done.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I think something that we haven't mentioned, also that I think is really important, is uh, to continue to listen to music. Because I know a lot of composers and people who work with music full time, they t- tend to very often say that, yeah, but I don't have time to to listen to music anymore. And I can typically tell when I listen to their music, not to be a critic, but uh, the thing is that music is developing the, the whole time. And even if it's, you're, you go, you're going back and listening to older music, classical music or music from the 70s or, you know, whatever floats your boat. I think it's really, really important to uh, keep refilling that well that you would drag ideas from. because. Technically, you're not stealing other people's ideas, but it's it's try, It's trying. like trying to be a good chef when all you eat is really, really bad food. You would never do that as a chef. A good chef eats typically his own food or her own food. So I think it's really, really important to uh, refill that well with other people's uh, spiritual ideas, because at the end of the day, you are standing on the shoulders of giants. And like Elise talked about before, I mean, the, the amount of giants that Amaranth are standing on, or shoulders of giants that we are standing on are numerous, from metal bands to pop bands to whatever. And um, I think it's important to not get cynical about that, you know, continue to be a fan, go to concerts, experience why music speaks to people. Because if you're only seeing it from the perspective of a composer, you can get a little bit, your perspective can get a little bit skewed. Yeah.
2: Well
0: said, well said. Cool. Well, I've got a, 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 something that I wanted to sort of piggyback off of a thing you said earlier that about the how the music has changed, which I definitely hear. I will often binge your entire discography, um, start to finish, or just hit shuffle and listen to the whole thing, basically. Um, and I can hear the ways in which it's changed, but I can also hear extreme consistency more than anything else it's a consistent quality and also i know that you've on i think every album worked with the same producer worked with jacob hansen and that makes me uh curious about not just working with him in particular um but any kind of outside influence that the band has so far we've mostly talked about the two of you um writing the songs but then you also bring them to the rest of the band and they maybe they have some kind of influence on how the song winds up coming out so um h- how about that like anything outside of the bubble of you 2 how does that shape uh, the song other people's input on it
1: i would say typically quite little actually the uh, here's the thing is that the um the core of the song idea always remains the same. When it comes to Jacob Hansen, he's a very musical producer, but that is mostly or almost exclusively focused on him capturing the uh, sonic aspect of it. So he can he can actually influence a song quite a bit in terms of how it comes out it's sound-wise because the production that a song has, you can actually steer it in quite different uh, directions, how people are going to perceive it uh, naturally. I mean, if you're a bad producer, you can really make it... <laughs> Good bands sound really crappy, for example, and vice versa, of course. And I mean, you mentioned the, the metalcore bands of the mid two thousands in the US. That's a good example as well. They all sound the same, and they all sound pretty good. Back then, also, regardless of their playing skill, I might add. I think with the, with Jacob Hansen, he understands how we want the album to sound from the music more than. Something that we tell him, we typically don't discuss it very much. And when we started to work with Jacob Hansen, I thought it would be a process where you sit down, you discuss in words like, "How do you guys want this album to sound?" And we would sit there and explain, like, "Yeah, we're trying to, you know, go in this direction generally, and and so on and so forth." And sometimes he can obviously bring in musical examples for for AB testing and stuff like that. But it, he would typically not talk about it, and he he. I was paraphrasing that perfect quote that yeah but talking about a production is like it's like dancing about a book doesn't make any sense No
2: <laughs> <laughs> dancing.
1: so uh, so yeah so he he doesn't get involved with the um with the arrangement or the uh like the vocal lines or uh, like how a guitar riff goes i i don't think he ever has gotten involved in that because that's typically not his role as a producer i know that a lot of producer are hands-on like that and it's I think it's kind of almost a typically American thing, because um, I, I, I don't think it's very few or any of the, the, the things that we put into a song are coincidence. And if you come from the outside and you start to move the different parts around, it's, it might come crashing down. And we are not in no way musical dictators. I mentioned a few examples where Morton would arrange drums that would actually affect how I will play the guitar, for example. There's quite a few examples of that where... Um, and I would include this more in the arrangement side of things than composition. But people I know that people define these things differently, but that's the way I see it, at least. So if you place um, an end field to a verse in a certain way, I will, instead of playing the whatever part I was playing on a demo, I will just follow that rhythm instead. So the whole thing kind of really comes together and it sounds more work through and it becomes more of a band thing, if you know what I mean. These days, I also leave... Um, bass completely up to joan and a phenomenal producer that we're using in uh finland in from helsinki uh johnny cruz well jonas parkonen is his real name he doesn't call himself johnny cruz anymore <laughs> he used to play guitar in uh, santa cruz oh yeah and he's a anybody who's heard him he's a incredible guitar player one of the best in europe in my humble opinion and uh, so he he knows where i'm going I, we played more than 60 shows with santa cruz so he knows our music intimately since you know, eight years ago, seven years ago. So uh, typically I would listen to that, and if there's any changes necessary, we'll just roll with it. But uh, the, the way that the bass is arranged also comes a lot from Joan's like um, groovy side and his um, like almost punk background. So he tends to be quite, quite loose and uh, it gives a certain vibe to it and it gives it, since there's a lot of rhythm and a lot of, uh, you know, fast bass drum parts in Emmerant's music, it gives it a little bit less of a... Um, that less clean feeling and more of a groovy organic sound to it, which I think is really cool as well. And obviously, I mean, I think it can also to some degree influence you what other people think about like fundamental ideas that you have and you send it over and they say that, yeah, but it would be cool if the if there's a halftime breakdown on this song. This has happened maybe a couple of times also that I'm I'm absolutely open to general suggestions, but it's it's more like suggestions where it could be potentially heading than actual like people sending over riffs or vocal lines or, or whatever. I think because event mentioned something very interesting, and that's consistency. And I think from, from both mine and Lee's perspective, this has been important from the beginning, that this band is about these core values. And while you can change certain things around those core values quite a lot, the, the um, general idea stays the same. I mean, Amaranth is a band that is about contrast, very heavy parts, very modern and kind of poppy, sometimes R&B kind of parts. This is the core. And then you can play around with that a lot. You can go much heavier, you can go much poppier, but it will still, if you remove the contrast, that's when people get the most upset. And I think sometimes we like to experiment with how far we can take it. Like we made some extremely brutal songs and people are shocked when they hear them. And in a, couple of, um, in a couple of songs, we went all in with pop stuff. And it's typically when we go all in in either direction that people start to get a little like, OK, this is, this is different for, for you guys. But I think um, it, it's something that I obsess about before every album. Like, OK, so how do we make this feel fresh? How do we make this feel like not repetition from the last album and so on and so forth? And I start to experiment like, like mad on the um, like keyboard and guitar side and, Many of these ideas, I don't even show anybody except possibly Elise. And then typically a little bit in, I start to dial it back a little bit and bring it more to where it should be, so to speak, to in order to have that consistency. Because when you're playing songs from your entire discography live, or you're playing Hunger from the first album, and then you play uh, that song, actually live, comes right after Digital World, which in turn comes right after uh, Viral. So you have two, or three songs from three completely different eras that should still gel together well without confusing the audience. Because I think one of the keys to this is, is that we started the band a little bit later than a bunch of bands from here in Gothenburg did, for example, like in Flames and Dr. Aquility and Evergrade, they all started out when they were like 15. So you're going to start, you know, imitating the bands that you love when you're 16. And then when you're 23, 24, that's when you start to find your core sound. And at age 27, 28, then you typically nailed it if you had a band going for, for quite a while. And when, when we started out, we were a little bit more mature and we had a little bit more experience to know what we really wanted to, to create. So it's, 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 been a, it's a good thing to listen back to the old albums, to play the songs live together and see that there's a, there's a general artistic vision that has stayed consistent without being repetitive, so to speak. Because it's a crying shame when I listen to bands that I love. They come by uh, Gothenburg and they play a show. And typically I like some of their older albums, like like the old school metalhead that I am. And they play no songs from those albums because it doesn't fit with their latest records at all. And everybody gets disappointed. People complain and and that kind of stuff. So from for my personal... Uh, and the way that we have talked about it also, Elise, is that these songs should always work as a unit, even if it's 20 years from now.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then also, like both of us, we, of course, uh, like other kind kind of structures than we do with Emerald. And then we can always do it on the side. That's why, I, for example, like love to work with other artists as a songwriter. in And Olaf has Dragonland where he can go all in with his uh, in this uh, orchestral arrangements and... So, but we will never let that. Amaranth will forever stay youth, just like the youthful, just like the name says. Mm. Exactly. (laughs) Never fading. And yeah, I guess we made a good choice, like uh, choosing this kind of more positive, uplifting direction, because I think it helped us as well to stay youthful and to always like kind of, you know.
1: Exactly. It's almost also like the concept of Amaranth, the band name and the idea and the concept dictates to us what it should be, in a sense. Because I, I can tell sometimes when I'm just like a little bit extra inspired, uh, that then I sit and I might even put some strings on it and I go a little bit all in and add some extra part to the C part. And then I go like, the the Amaranth entity slowly shakes its uh, big head, <laughs> its cybernetic head, and says, no, <laughs> this is not it. <laughs> Go back doing uh, Ameren songs. This is not the way that it sh- should be going right now. And I, I think it's important to listen to that voice also. If you're, you should experiment. You should be brave when you're writing songs and, and all that. You should innovate, absolutely. But try to remember what, what were the core values of the band when you, when you started. Because it's still a part of you. Even if you grew up a lot, the core side of it is the core side of your, your part of the, of the project, of your personality. I mean, Elise has grown up and changed a lot in the last 12 years, but she has her core Elise self, which is a super fundamental part of the, why Amaranth sounds like it, uh, like it does. Yeah. And she could easily, tomorrow she could start to write a lot of um, opera-style vocal lines and make it really complex and we could have all kinds of modulations and make incredibly complex songs. But it would no longer be Amaranth at all.
0: I, uh, I'm, I'm both... I, I both love and am worried about that kind of thing you know what I mean constantly because I'm all, every time you come out with something new, I'm always like, well, I want to see where they're going next but if it, if it changes too much i'll I will be bummed as a mega fan and I kind of hate that because I always want you to do I want the artist to do what what they want that's what's genuinely the next thing that they're gonna do, you know and they're not discounting their genuine experience and expression just for some artificial limitation, but sometimes that winds up growing out of an, these urges to do other kinds of things that don't really fit with the main thing. So it's awesome that you're saying you guys have these other outlets to to do these things that you want to try in other styles and stuff, but Amaranth is always going to be the thing that it is, even if it's going to change a little bit here and there. So I think exactly. I think that makes me feel a lot better as a fan, that I don't really have to worry that you're going to change so drastically, even, even as you uh, grow and evolve the sound you know and i like i said the consistency has been so solid throughout your whole discography that um i it's 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 sort of comforting i guess in a way anytime you've changed something or like added or or just uh tried something different on a type of song um i'm never like oh that doesn't really work i'm always like oh i didn't expect that it works really well um like that song for example um Uh, obviously one of your more sort of uh out there for you for the band out there Mm -hmm. almost an experiment still uh, just such a great song works so well and then there's the sort of trio of henrik songs the ones that are sort of his like fast features you know gg6 and all of those um that I remember being like, "Oh, they're gonna do like one of these on every album." Oh shit! Okay, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do it! Like, hell yeah! Um, and that, uh, to me, that always worked, uh, even though it was sort of a um, yeah, just like something new and different. It still felt like you said, it reflected the core values of the band and the writing process. And I guess that brings me to the to a question um, about. The future of like, what are you guys trying to do next? I still, I, I'm still not quite over it yet, but you are currently uh, down one. Um, one of the trio um, mm-hmm. of the triple attack for the time being. I assume that will be remedied at some point. But as far as the band is concerned, where uh, artistically, do you have any idea of where you're going to go next? Is there anything that you're trying new uh, stuff songwriting-wise, any kind of new anything, or you, is it just going to be back to the grind, do it the same way that you've been doing it?
2: Usually we like to update the uh, songs, like try to find new songs in the songs, the digital sounds. I think now we get very inspired by those always developing, changing. And now we recently all have found a new program which has amazing sounds, which I think we're going to use a lot. And then I also thought as a songwriter, like seriously speaking, it would be fucking cool to make like a six minute long song. I know it's not Amaranth, like it's not within the framing, but it would be so cool to have that at least once we should do it. You know, like the 12 minute long, 13, just to like, but it might not be our most popular song then. It might kind of interfere with the already existing material. So we have to think about that very carefully or we do a side project where we can do that. (laughs) And then actually I have to say also, like confess that we were supposed to write uh, an album during the pandemic. Like, But it was so much negativity going on around in the world. So, and then the war came. And like, so basically we felt like, but this is not like since we are Amaranth and like Amaranth is fucking depressed, you know, because we can't, where could we find the positivity? Like during that time, I, for me, it was impossible. And for all, all of us, well, for like uh, personal reasons, having a wife from Romania, which is kind of very close to the border of Ukraine. Like we are here, you know, it's very close to us. And I was like, I can't come up with anything positive, like uplifting positive at this time. So we kind of, we, that's the reason we decided to delay the, the songwriting process. And that's 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 how much we also respect our own product, like Amrat. And like you said, it's not only that we are like, yeah, let's do this like computers, you know, it has to come from us and we have to feel it. And we have to be, Yeah, it would be the kind of most painful thing ever to kind of pretend to be happy or, kind of create some kind of fake well there is always bad things happening and our that's one thing which also was the reason for the band is that, that we had had been going through so many sad things in our personal lives at the time around 20 or so that this kind of music made us it gave us energy. And that's what most of our fans also felt during this like life happens. Life happens and it's not always roses and uh, yeah, well we all know that. And and But if it's like really like a world thing, like a pandemic thing, like you know, the whole world is like kind of in a kind of state that it was hard to find. It was kind of, it was extra hard to find something positive like out there. Um, So that's, that's why it's so important for us because even if we would go through bad stuff, like personally, then there is always something else, which is so beautiful and amazing and nice that happens you know, around us that we have to remember and kind of try to catch on to and live out. I know that people would, like, some people maybe wouldn't understand this and maybe think that, yeah, but I mean, most of this stuff happens in your mind anyways. And you could watch a movie or something where there is like this amazing, or you could watch somebody who has been making a great change in the world or whatever, and kind of get inspired by that, situation or person, but if it gets too much, where the whole world is like in some kind of a depression, I think it was kind of, that was the only thing that could stop even us from wanting to start to write at that time. Like that's much of a organic band we are in a way. I don't know how it was for other artists. I know a lot of bands did write and release albums because it was a good time when everybody was anyways forced to stay indoors. But right, Olaf, it's like that's that's how we try to like well, that's how we work.
1: That's a problem when you are a conduit and you're <laughs> kind of channeling whatever is going around you at the time. And I think it's uh, you're you're touching on, on something that is incredibly important there, at least that we haven't really discussed. And that's the uh, that the lyrical themes and the atmosphere of the song should be positive and uplifting because this is um, this is also what the concept dictates in a way. But um, it's also uh, something that makes us uh, unique in the metal scene because obviously the metal scene deals with a lot of really important and at the same time really depressing matters, such as the nature of the music. But there's nothing with metal music that says that, OK, this is 100% law that it should be like that. Because there are other bands that are uh, uplifting as well. We kind of just took it to the to the next level and to, to the next degree. And I think it's, um, it's important that you... Uh, that you are in the right frame of mind then to, to write and compose this uh, kind of music. I think it was, um, we had a pretty, uh, it was a very intense run right up till the end of the pandemic. But uh, I do have to say that it was one of the coolest tours that we've ever done, the um, and tour, in terms of uh, the touring party that we were touring with, and also the, the venues that we were playing. And there was a lot of pretty amazing atmosphere in the air that we brought directly from that tour and straight into the album. For the Manifest album, we had written 20 ideas before that tour that were most of them scrapped. And the, the album was it was never our intention to rewrite everything, but that's what we ended up doing. I think it was two ideas from before that tour that actually made it onto the album. But uh, well, when it comes to, uh, to to the future, there's a billion different ideas that we want to try out. And uh, just one aspect of it is ex- exactly like uh, Elise said, we um, uh, got uh, recently, <laughs> recently endorsed by a few uh, keyword plugin companies and so so now the, uh, it's specifically reeffects uh, nexus <laughs> thanks to those guys they gave us every single little plugin that they have in their catalogs. so, so now the the painters palette is wide <laughs> indeed so there's um it's it's really cool to be inspired also by just a sound or some like a keyboard sound or a song title or something like like that but uh, to also draw a little bit of uh, influence and inspiration from from the technical side of things I've uh, recently started to use uh, Neural DSP for guitars, which gives me a much better instant guitar sound without having to fiddle around with it a lot. So that also helps you um, in the composition process because much more early on do you hear something closer to what the final uh, result is going to be as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think now for the upcoming, like now we feel very inspired to write. I mean, now we're going towards at least a bit more positive direction again.
0: I'm very glad to hear that because the thing that you were describing about sort of the state of the world and it's being difficult to to have a positive attitude. To me, that's that's when the world needs new amaranth the most. You know what I mean? Cuz to me, it's like I can go like, "Oh man, so much shit is going so badly in the in the world." Fucking a, a big red amaranth button get me pumped back up again to fucking I clean my house every time I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going to fucking clean to this shit. I made a dumb little TikTok about that, actually, if you want to. But I'm glad to hear it. So you're, you're kind of back in the saddle then is what you're saying? Absolutely.
1: The thing is that uh, I, I can also hint a little bit towards that um, there are going to be new stuff be, uh, being released a lot sooner than you might think also. Maybe not an entire album just yet, but there's going to be new music for, from us before long, for, for sure. Before yeah, the uh, album true. comes out, without yeah. revealing it too much. There's some new stuff in the pipeline that is uh, on the topic, a little different from us, but so incredibly recognizably, Amaranth. So it's going to be really cool to see what you think about that.
2: Yeah, that's true. The- so we don't have some inspiration exactly. but it's about a specific t- subject uh which got us pumped and inspired to write and it's the same with the PvP song actually that it was also like about the you went into this whole gaming world and I mean how cool is that and stuff still kept going regardless of what happened around. Uh, so so we are we'll be very happy to release those kind of soon like what we did create during the lockdown. Um, but yeah to 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 kind of also allow yourself I mean this is the be, the more you 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 look at other I think other artists um people who made a big in, impact in on other people's lives and then you realize that they themselves um at some point fell apart or Yeah, we know we know all the stories about greats, geniuses, musicians and singers and all those. Like somehow that's that's more like that's more like it's not at all about the songwriting subject, of course, Uh, that's more about like how the the whole industry is is, uh, uh, pushing people. So I think a lot happened during the pandemic, like with the that you kind of got a perspective on things and for us that we have also allow ourselves to kind of allow ourselves to grieve for example and allow our, our, ourselves to take this break from producing like a machine <laughs> you know uh, which we've done actually and a lot of people wonder it's like there actually been questions I've been reading somewhere that they wonder if we're lost our souls or something like that we are actually just like kind of some producing rabbits or something (laughs) but uh, we do actually always write songs with when we feel inspired and that's also one reason maybe why it doesn't take us like too long because when we feel inspired we meet up we make sure we make something or if we hang out friday saturday you know instead of being in the bar we're creating our own atmosphere at home and Like the kind of atmosphere that people seek and which we also seek to become more energetic, it will always be that way. So we will always try to find ways to make sure we're in the right state of mind. So if it means that we would need to take six months to go to Bermuda or something, we will do it, (laughs) you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Band vacation.
2: Yeah, I was like, okay, we need to make a fucking good album. Like, let's go there. We don't have to do anything. We do anything just to make sure that we're not having some... We call it like the worst songs we know is like the tired songs. Mm.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: That's like our secret word. Is like,
1: It should never sound tired.
2: It should never sound tired. No, it can't sound tired. If it's tired, that goes out. It goes to the trash. That's not what
0: Sometimes you got to get the tired song out. So that you can get to the, the good ones, though. Sometimes you just gotta yeet it.
2: Or you just make it, you just continue another day and you make it untired.
0: <laughs> ah, wake up, wake it up.
2: <laughs> Pump it up, like, a good way to do that is always, like Olaf said, is to make it more up-tempo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly, push it.
2: Make it better. I, ha- I found it, actually. You did? First demo version, you're gonna not believe this. It's the same song, it has different lyrics. But for a thousand years, I know these eyes can't share your tears. I know what it's like to be afraid. I can't breathe, I can't see This suffering is always a thing. When you're near, at least I can't breathe. I see you even when I dream. I dream. I feel everything. No one's touched me. She's like a Here's the chorus. Maybe you should know. And so on. The
0: so there you can see. Wow! It sounds like it could be like an, like an angsty '90s like Alanis Morissette or something kind of like super dark downer jam. I mean, it's it's nice. It's really nice. Even hearing it. <laughs> like that level of quality hearing it through your iPhone. Yeah, super different. So that's uh awesome to be able to hear where it sort of started and where it where it wound up. Big a huge change.
1: Because you can see that the entire seed of the, the song is there. Everything that you need in order to, to put together the, the the final result that we did is there. With the fundamental vocal lines the Fundamental groove of it, even if it got changed a lot, then the idea is there.
2: and It is kind of like melancholic, which most of my original ideas are, but then we kind of shift that always into um, the more powerful. I think also you can, uh, to be honest, I think most of the power that we find also comes from dark places. It's a, it's a very strong force. Like the like anger is actually the strongest kind of feeling that we have in our body, you know? So, and also like the sadness and the melancholic parts and kind of to use them and turn them into something positive is, is like a very good force of uh, like, like an energy flow, like a force of nature.
0: You have the like different outlets for those with the three different vocal styles. You, if you, you know, and so you can write something that maybe doesn't make sense for you to sing, Elise like uh, because like it does I don't know it, it just doesn't fit the uplifting vibe you give it to the you give it to the screams be like now you're the angry part and we're gonna have a conversation something like that
2: exactly and that's also why I feel so honored or whatever you call it like I'm so happy that I am what am I I am in the metal music <laughs> scene with this extremely powerful vocalist instrumentalists. And I love that it, it's still the kind of uh, heavier part which carries the whole genre. And that's why I'm so proud about and like why people always sometimes asked um, me if I would become a pop singer or whatever. I was like, how can you become something which you're not? You know, also, from your personality that, well, of course, like a lot of pop also has very deep there is a lot of amazing pop songs, obviously, but it's like, that's where, where I have always had a hard time kind of playing the difference between different genres or why I'm not in a different, I was like, but I am metal, like I am, it's just who I am. I grew up in a metal world. It suits my, it suits, I, I know that. That's maybe one thing you could say. I know. I know the people, I know the atmosphere, I know the spirit, and that's also why meaning all of we clicked so well we like found each other in a bar and we became best friends immediately because we spoke spoke the same language and um, and then you can um, kind of just take that as the core and be very proud about it but then experiment around it and give yourself and the people now who we know are listening to our music something which stands out and which is kind of unique. And it's not copying other amazing metal bands from Sweden, for example, which we still are inspired by and influenced by. But just like kind of make our own part of combine both worlds or three worlds or many worlds or just make our own world, which is the, the Amaranth world, which is like has its feet in metal.
0: It's the nexus of all those things. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Boom.
0: I bet it would be really limiting for you to just to be a, a pop artist or whatever, or just writing after being able to write for three different singers, three completely different sounds and styles and uh, things that you can, uh, different ways of expressing, you know, to go to like be writing just for your, uh, like a solo song or something. I, I That might be... It feels lonely.
2: Yeah, I know. I also, I mean, I love work with other people most about, most of all. And also, like you said, like these things that I make when I'm on my own, I recorded this, of course, in the middle of the night, so I couldn't sing very strong. But it's like, yeah, it's lonely. And I don't think I'm, I'm not created to be a lonely wolf. It never felt natural to me to do things on my own. I always wanted to be part of a group. Part of something, also, when I did the shows back in the days, we were like a team we were twelve people singing dancing together if you would be if I would be doing musicals, which was one of the dreams and some dream i a dream I still have <laughs> is that it's it's going to be an ensemble like so many people I would sing with so many other people. I love that I think that's also one re- thing that yeah. Of course, I could maybe record the solo album and release it. But I mean, I've thought about it sometimes, like touring, being just me, dictating, telling everybody what to do. Like, <laughs> uh, it's me, my show kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. So um, I think we found a, a solution to all our problems. And that is Emma.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be super fun to sit and compose by yourself and do something totally different. But I mean, to do that full time like a film score composer or something like that. It's just, you're working from your own studio at all times. And the only time that you see people is well, hopefully when you go to premieres and stuff, they incredibly lonely.
2: That's the thing. Like people sometimes, I, I also ask you, and I, even I ask sometimes, I'm like, oh, love, why don't you do movie scores? You're so amazing. And that's like, he wouldn't have me, for example, <laughs> or the other guys in the band. It would just be you. I couldn't even see you just sitting there. In your own bubble, because we know that most of those extremely, I mean, it goes hand in hand I think, that most extremely genius people, they are lonely wolves and they have maybe some social anxiety and like other kinds of characteristics. I'm thinking about like Einstein or like the, you know, all those, <laughs> you can see them there, or the, the Chopin and the Mozart dudes and the, all those. It's something. I. Fine. And that's also what, why sometimes sometimes you could think that the music industry is a little bit like unfair, that it seems like, I got this question once, you have to be kind of an extrovert to survive in this industry, that maybe there are some even also, much better musicians and songwriters and singers out there, but they don't have skill to create a band or they don't know... Also, they don't feel comfortable being on a stage.
1: That is certainly the case.
2: Which is like kind of don't get this, the chance because they don't know all the other parts you have to be able to handle when it comes to being an artist or a touring band or a touring artist like we are.
0: Yeah, imagine if you had never gotten up the the courage to show anybody all of those songs that you'd written when you were, you were really young, if you'd have stayed as uh you know like like oh i don't know they're okay i guess and like fucking you were sitting on a treasure trove of gold and this skill that you uh you know didn't have the i don't know didn't have the confidence to share with anybody yet and then and then you and then it was this discovery that happened because you taught showed them to other people you, you you were social about it you shared some of yourself with other people boom there you like there you go. That's I think that's true of everybody. If you've got a skill or or you know you're a creative person and you're making this stuff, you have to you have to be willing to share it with other people and put yourself out there. That's very hard to do.
2: Mike, I love how you're saying that because that's actually true. And it was also in the beginning of our career with the band. I, I was afraid. I didn't want to tell which parts I had written because I didn't want to have anyone's opinion about it. I thought it was awful. Like I wasn't at all. I mean, people think I'm an expert, which I am in some ways, but I also have that extremely personal, like when it comes, especially to music, because it's such a like a naked uh, revealing kind of, I was like, no, 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 I don't, I didn't write. Well, did I write something? I don't know, maybe a little bit. You know, I was never like, yeah, I'm a songwriter. I did this, I wrote this, I did this, this. I didn't like that. I didn't like to talk about that. And it's a little bit weird but, yeah, it's very true, and I know it's a lot of other people who's like that, like uh, it takes a lot of effort, but also that's why I'm so happy when you you meet the right people who can like kind of protect you in that situation and up, lift you up and understand and like encourage you and like so I wouldn't probably be able to do anything of any of this on my own anyways. Um, but now, I mean, it's so nice to like kind of. That's the thing where people watching or listening that, you know, we all have had those fears. We all have been shy. I don't, I never seen all of shy. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> it happens.
2: <laughs> we all have those insecurities. I mean, it's a scary world. It's a scary thing to kind of just throw yourself out there. It feels like you're going to get eaten by a monster and you I think especially that like, negative comments can fucking kill you. I mean, we could have given up after our first album. I could have been like, okay, I can't take all these negative comments on YouTube. I will, I just gonna leave the band. That's when you have to step the fuck up. And like, that's when you have to create this kind of badass attitude, which maybe isn't you from the beginning, but you become that person and you protect, protect your fans who loves what you do and you like, you have to stand up for each other.
1: Exactly. But it's it's the the inherent problem of uh, playing music inside of a traditionally conservative genre, at least in the last 15, 10, 15 years. I mean, uh, metal used to be a pretty um, open-minded genre, especially in the 80s where there was constantly new things happening. And then in the 90s, there was also constantly happening, you know, stuff here from, from Gothenburg. But something that is to take in flames and dark tranquility, for example, when they started in the 90s here, they got death threats because there was not and no comments on YouTube. This is something that is rarely talked today. They don't really talk about it that much in interviews because it's just such a long time ago. It's 27 years ago, but it, it was a problem for Inflames and um, At The Gates and Dr. Quillity to play shows because there was a black metal mob in um, Gothenburg walking around and beating up people who were listening to melodic metal because they thought it was just gay as a derogatory term.
2: Yeah, it was, it was terrible uh, climate. But yeah, yeah exactly. Like, um, us with Amaranth, for Amaranth, especially, it wasn't just like me, of course, being a girl and all that, uh, getting criticized. It was like our music, our music, because it didn't fit in. People thought this is not metal. This is not. This is shit or whatever. Like there was so much negativity. But that's that's also the thing. When you're a songwriter, you create creator music, creator. Like we as fans for music, music fans, we would also love to see someone come up with something unique and specific and incredible. Like, so if anybody has an idea, I know a lot of bands, musicians and, and creative people, maybe seek a little bit through others, like what works, what doesn't work, what, who you, you always want to find some kind of a role model, I guess. But it would be amazing, Like, I think, for the whole industry, we would love to see if someone has a crazy idea. Like, try it out.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, if you create start your own band in, uh, or if you're making songs at home or whatever it is, I mean, in order to get somewhere with it uh, in the metal scene, in, if that's your goal, you need to find a niche. Otherwise, you will most likely disappear among the extreme sea of uh, other bands. So you have that factor. You need to be unique. You need to have a niche. But on the other hand, if you have a niche, you will get attacked because you uh, do something different. And I mean, I think the, the very first sign of Amaranth actually working great as a concept was the reactions that we had when we released uh, Hunger and the reactions were furious. People thought that we had completely wrecked their entire genre, you know, beyond any hope of repair. And I found it quite hilarious. Not everybody in the band found it in the same way. But uh, I like to be provocative in general. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a uh, good for complacent people to be shaking around properly every now and then because otherwise they get way too comfortable with um, with their things. And I think that um, it was really interesting to see going from there back in 2011 to 2018 where people were saying that, yeah, this Helix album, it's really good, but I, I, I like their two first albums more because they were a little bit more metal. I'm like, dude, you should have heard the comments <laughs> at the time <laughs> and the criticism that we got. And it was not about it being too metal, I can assure you about that. (laughs) So to, to see that entire development, I never thought it would happen that people said that they liked the first one or two albums more because they sounded more metal, especially from the interesting point of view that they are not more metal than the last two albums, for example. I would have probably ventured to say that Helix or possibly Manifest are the heaviest albums that we've done, or the most metal albums, compared to the first two, for example. But people are always going to remember things differently, because when you're 14, 15, you're listening to, let's say, The Nexus, you're going to perceive it as, whoa, this is so heavy, and I can listen to it because it's a little bit catchy also. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but that's the thing, like, like with the, and that's, I think for us, the best thing about us was that we didn't try to create an image or copy somebody else, or, like, we didn't try to create, what made Amaranth, to begin with, was the songwriting, like, the songs. We wrote the songs first, and then we started to think, okay, well, who should be in the band? Like, what should we look like? I was even trying to, like, figure out, like, what kind of clothes do I, should I go for, like, but then... In the end, it was the songs. Always, it was always the songs.
1: That dictates everything, exactly.
2: Yeah, and then we could like. That's why I feel like the sky is the limit. Still, that we can still create and develop a lot uh, within our field. I mean, we also try to just be humans, like regular people. We didn't put on makeup. We didn't. I love Kiss, for example. <laughs> um, we, we didn't decide. We didn't decide to go there because we were thrown out so fast. So we were just ourselves and. I think also that's one reason why we also maybe took it very personal at the beginning when people did criticize us because we're like but we are only musicians like writing songs and then we are here like performing the songs and then we get all these comments and I was like what the hell? I found this uh, old uh, magazine today.
1: Oh, uh, seven out of 10. It wasn't, oh, is it 9 out of 10 even?
2: It's 9 out of 10 in mm. Sweden Rock Magazine.
1: Yeah, they actually liked, it, liked the album. Not everybody liked the first album as much as they did.
2: <laughs> From 2011. Yeah, that's why I bought the the magazine and saved it because we got nine out of ten. And then here on this page, I found this little dude. Uh, oh, it's wow. Nils. Wow,
1: it's minimum. <laughs> that's so funny. He's still recognizable though. He looks like he's about twelve.
2: I know he's so small. We did with this one. we were in the same magazine. Adorable. And he was. <laughs> <laughs> and when we released our first album, he was there. Like <laughs> it looks like ten or twelve. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow buddy in reality he was 13
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'm practically a man <laughs> well guys this is the longest a podcast has ever gone i and i feel bad because i promise you it could be short for your voices and I'm, now i'm starting to feel bad that i'm making you talk but i i'm loving every second of this first of all this is this is all solid gold to me i love hearing all of this stuff um hearing not just about your process but also about the way the the history of it the philosophy of how you go about it and how you're thinking about it the the freedom that you've given yourself but also the restrictions the creative not restrictions so much but you know the sticking to your guns of how you've gone about it framework the framework you could call it yeah from the, beginning, the um, you know, the um, the concepts like this con- contrasting sounds and things that all work together super, super well, but are a, a, a constant exercise in contrast and how you've gone about it is incredibly interesting to me. I've, I like
1: that wording. Sorry to interrupt you, but a constant exercise in contrast. I'll remember that for future interviews.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a lot of why I love the band so much because that appeals to me so much the con the constant contrasting of elements against each other what's the word juxtaposition if i was real really pretentious exact constant juxtaposition but it's It really works really well for me and obviously a lot of other people because you've had immense success and I hope that it just continues in that direction. Would you like to talk about what you've got coming up in terms of uh, releases and tours? Because I know you just announced something this morning and you've got a tour on the books let the people know what's up.
1: Oh, of course, of course. We have, um, speaking of Make It Better, that you heard it, even the more, more, most initial version of, we have a um, version, an interpretation featuring Jennifer Hubbell from Beyond the Black, who we are also to segue into the touring uh, plans going on tour with uh, starting October 5th in Vienna next month. So if you are in Europe, join us, come and see us. Check out the amaranth.se for all the relevant dates.
2: Yeah. And we're, of course, planning, thinking, trying to get over to the US soon as well. Hopefully, next year.
0: Before long.
2: Yeah, it's been too long. We love it there. And uh, we miss everybody
0: abroad. Great. I will I will be there wherever there is. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool guys. Well, thank you so so much for taking the time especially since you're both a bit uh, under the weather. I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with with the release of the new song with the tour and all of that. So, thank you so so much.
1: It was a pleasure to talk to you again, Trey. Thank you so much for ha- having us in Gear also. Awesome.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome to be back. <laughs> yes and hopefully more in the future.
2: Keep up the good work you're doing.
1: Yeah, c- congratulations to, to all the progress, the new studio, all the new uh, uh, subscribers and everything. And thanks to everybody who actually stayed this uh, whole podcast. I can see that we didn't really drop that many in, uh, in listeners, so that's good.
0: <laughs> very consistent, yeah.
2: We're also very curious to hear your upcoming songs now when you get some, maybe some new advice. Exactly. Some writing.
0: <laughs> I've, I, yeah I've, I've got some new stuff coming out actually i got one that needs a spot
2: <laughs> what i've heard i love i love it what i've heard and it's also very funny because you're also yeah you're in your songs it's like a different tray but it's you still but it's like funny because it's like we can hear your soul mm. have you heard all of
1: it? yes of course
2: but I, I like that that's why i love good it, stuff it's like you can't
1: die amazing
2: stuff but it's like um yeah we want we want we, we look forward to hear more from you and hopefully release an album which gonna be able to come out of here in sweden you can come over here tour
0: thank you so much <laughs> oh you made my day thank you guys i really appreciate that thank you guys so much Um, ooh, i'm i'm getting misty i'm getting misty <laughs> all right woohoo so thank you all so much for watching. Um, obviously, this was a pretty, uh, pretty great moment for me. My finally, finally getting to interview my favorite band about the thing of theirs that I love the most, which is their songs and their songwriting. I was a little worried that, like, you know, I didn't want to like, didn't want to peel back the curtain too much because, to me, uh, I, I've never stopped and thought about why I love the music so much, and it allowed me to turn off my analytical brain and just enjoy music and that's that to me is what's so great about it and uh, I'm so glad that I did it and I hope that y'all enjoyed the interview huge thanks to Elise and Olaf for taking the time and huge thanks to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode um, check the link in the description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid and hit up HowSongsAreMadePodcast.com for all the past episodes of uh, the audio podcast and this will be available very soon as an audio podcast as well and be sure to follow on all of your favorite podcast outlets and uh, enjoy the rest of your week and i'll see you all real soon